0: to the podcast of Vertical Life Church. We hope and pray these messages encourage and challenge you to find your glorious purpose in Christ Jesus. For more information, visit us on the web at www.blchurch.tv. Appa, we come to you this morning kind of unbelieving that we would have an audience with the King of Glory. The psalmist rightly said, who is man that you should be mindful of him, to know that the King of glory looks down upon us and is pursuing our heart, desires a relationship with us, wants to reveal himself. What an honor to be in your presence this morning, Lord. When we know what we deserve, and yet you crown us with loving kindness and tender mercy. You fill our lives with good things. The psalmist rightly says that you satisfy greater than the richest feast. You make yourself available to those who hunger and thirst, who seek And pursue. so God, we've come to seek you today. We've come to pursue you today. God, we've come to know your heart. To know the depth of your love. God, we've come for revelation. We've come for truth. We've come for your presence. We've come offering what little we have. The gifts and talents that you gave us, God. We come offering you what we have and we ask, God, that it would be a sweet sound to your ear, a sweet smell, a sweet fragrance to your nose, God, that we would delight you in this place, that you would find a people whose hearts are ready, whose hearts are open, whose desires are for you and you alone. God, I know you have an ache on your heart, and so often we just blow right past it. So often we're too busy for you, too busy to take a moment, but God, we're here. We're here, and our prayer today is that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, A mind that can understand and a heart that will believe and that will respond and not stay cold and dead, but will come alive in Jesus' name. That what you're doing in our nation, in our world today, will not pass us by, but God, that we'd be faithful. And you'd find us worthy to visit us here today. God, we love you. And we give you all the honor and praise we can. Let us do your name. And we'll continue to sing your praise until kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome. Just before we jump into what I hope is a word that matters, is that uh, we've been preparing this meeting place, and many of you have asked, you know, why are we calling it the meeting place? Well, simply because one of my favorite passages in the Bible is when God visits the people on Mount Sinai and the fire and the wind and the storm and he reveals his glory. And shortly after that, he invites Moses to build a place for him called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting. And God says, and this is the place where I will meet with you. And so we are building a meeting place so we have a place to go where people can meet with God. And everything is going absolutely fabulous, as best as I could hope. And hopefully by March 11th, we have everything ready to go. So we are planning an open house, but it's more of a kind of a blessing. We want to invite you to come and we're going to pray over the space and we're just going to uh, fellowship together. We'll have some light snacks and things there for you to come and hang out and just get a a vision of what we believe God is, is doing in our community, what he's doing through us And I think it's going to be an incredible place where people are going to meet with God. My heart is that it's open, that any time of day you can come. If you need to study, you can come. You can get on the Wi-Fi. It's free. And kind of an insider joke, you know, it says in the Bible that anyone that wants to be saved must declare Jesus as Lord. And that's the password. Jesus is Lord. So if you come to the meeting place, you can't come without getting saved. You will be saved at the meeting place. But I just believe that that's going to be a place where God's presence is going to remain. Any time of day, you come. That you can come and get before the Lord. You can come and pray. It's not just an office space where you have to schedule to meet with the pastor. That if you're just feeling a certain type of way, you come You get on your hands and knees before the Lord, the God will meet you there. And that's our prayer. That's our prayer for every time we gather, everywhere we gather. Beloved, we are in week three of this series, monumental, and this has been a challenge for me because I actually wrote this message first, and all this week I've had to just chuck it. And... I know God has something special for us. I don't know quite what's in store. I will tell you, I have the introduction. Everything else is on God. But I want to set this up, and my prayer is, is that you hear God's heart and that God does something in us where we cannot leave here the same, but we leave here different in a good way. And my prayer is that each one of us are so wrecked in our heart by the Holy Spirit that we have to respond, that we have to make a move, that we have to make a change. In week one, we were talking about this monumental faith that we've been called into, this thing that has been transforming the world for 2,000 years, the miracles that God has done, the way it's shifted culture and changed culture, and how God just... As Jesus said, with just a little tiny bit of faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move mountains. And God wants to partner with you, you personally, to do miraculous things. And no, we don't, we don't chase the miraculous because we think it's cool to do cool things. No, we chase God, and God does miraculous things through us because he's a good God. And so we're after the heart of God. And, and so we talked about how there's monumental faith, and this is a monumental faith. This faith, this Christian faith, this is unlike any other faith. And last week we we talked about not only is it a monumental faith but it's a monumental hope that in Christ and in the resurrection we have hope that the world does not have. We have an everlasting hope, one that keeps us secure, one that we can count on. That the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead means that there is something for us to cling to not just in this life that makes sense of all the troubles and struggles that we have because beloved we have trouble. We have struggle. This world is broken, but there is not just hope for today, but there's also hope for tomorrow, that one day the trouble, the sorrow, the crying, and the pain will be done away with. it will be no more. We have a monumental hope, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul addresses the church of Corinth, and I ask you to bear with me. Normally... I'm all digital up here, but today we're doing something a little different. In 1 Corinthians 13, this is what Paul says to the church of Corinth. In verse 13, he says, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest is love. We have a monumental hope. We have a monumental faith. But, beloved, we have a monumental love. And it's the greatest love. It's the purest love. It's the strongest love. It's a life changing love. Matter of fact, this love has the power to transform. Now, I'm going to take a little detour for a minute. Aren't people weird? Just go to Walmart, case-proof. And if you're at Walmart, what's that say about you? Because somebody's looking at you. But people are weird, right? There have been times that you know, we've gone to different stores. I went to Barnes & Noble here recently. And just the, I'm sure this lady behind the counter, this, this woman is a sweet person. But appearances create perceptions. And this girl was dark. What is up with snake jewelry? That is creepy. Like, you see, it's like a fad thing. You got snake earrings and snake necklaces and all this stuff. I'm like, how, much, how demonic can you get? Like, it's creepy. It's like, oh, they're majestic animals. No, they're not. They're the devil. But it's creepy. People wearing this dark stuff. it's fascinating to me the things that people will put on their body. I'm just going to show you a couple of jewelry pieces today to to show you how twisted and weird people are. The the first one, let's throw that up here. Anybody seen an electric chair necklace? An electric chair, like what we put criminals to death in, or used to, anyway. Like, what's going through your mind when, when you think, I'm going to wear an electric chair on my chest, on my body. That, that's weird. That's dark, right? That's strange. Well, how about this pair of earrings? Or this necklace? We'll go, earrings, there we go. A guillotine. A guillotine, like this back in the day, even before the electric chair. We used to put criminals to death, people to death, by lopping their heads off. Who wants to wear guillotines on their ears? We'll go on to the next one, the, the necklace, the noose. We had the noose. But did you notice that when the cross is put up, we have a different response? The cross is more barbaric, more sadistic, than any of the other forms of death. It's been known in history as being the worst form of torture that anyone could have ever endured. We've invented words to describe it. The word excruciating, as Latin means, from the cross. When we look at the guillotine, when we look at the electric chair, when we look at a noose, we think, man, what's wrong with that person? But yet every one of us at one time or another, maybe right now in this room, you have the cross on your neck. You have a cross hanging in your house. The cross was so barbaric they wouldn't even execute Roman citizens with the cross. It was reserved for slaves and opponents in war. But yet today the cross is a symbol. The cross has changed from from this symbol of death and torture and causing fear in the hearts of the enemy to now it's a symbol of something else. It's a symbol of life. It's a symbol of love. How is that possible? On Romans 5.8, it says, God showed his great love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God showed his great love. God showed how desperately, how madly, how crazy He is in love with His people. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you recognize that the love of God is so powerful it can change the instrument of death, this 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 symbol of fear, into a symbol of love? Doesn't that blow your mind? And we haven't even thought about it. We don't even think about it, but. It, the power of God's love is so transforming, so beyond what we can wrap our minds around, it has the ability to completely change definitions, change an instrument of death into an instrument of life. But you see, beloved, the cross isn't the only thing that the love of God transforms. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The word new means something that's never existed before. If you are in Christ, you're a new creation. You're a brand new creation. There's never been anything like you ever before. So the old is past. All things have become new. The power of God, when you intersected God's love and you responded to the gospel by saying yes to Jesus, his love was so powerful in your life, it transformed you from what you were to what you are now. In Christ the Lord. This is your BCAD moment. Before Christ and after deliverance. Before Christ, what you were before, to after deliverance. This is your BCAD moment. Every child of God at one time in their life has a BCAD moment where you encounter the Lord and you're never the same. You're not perfect, but you're different. And you see, beloved, the, the cross of Christ, the love of God is so instrumental in, in our lives. It is, it's something we take for granted, I think, every day. But it's something that God has intended to be the very cornerstone, the very foundation of our Christian life. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Hear, hear what Paul the Apostle says about God's love. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. From whom every family in heaven and earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So what he's about to say is that his prayer is that you're going to be strengthened in your spirit, in your inner man, this this eternal part of you that God brought to life through the cross of Christ, that you're going to receive strength here to be all that you were intended to be in Christ Jesus. So as he's praying this prayer, verse 17, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Somebody say faith. We have a monumental faith. So it's in your faith Christ can dwell in your heart that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Jesus Christ, the love of God Almighty, is not just a thing we read about, a thing we think about. It's meant to be the cornerstone, the foundation of everything we are. It's the foundation of our faith. It's the foundation of our lives. What's interesting, he says he wants us to be rooted and grounded in his love. That means the love of the Christ is a new foundation. Here recently, I was, I was praying to the Lord about some struggles in my own life, some things that we're dealing with, and just, you know, when you have those things you beat your head against time and time again, it's like, man, what is the deal? We should be able to get past this, I should be able to be on this, but I'm still wrestling with the same problem, and I was praying to the Lord, and I just believe that he spoke to my heart, and he says, I hear you, I'm going to answer you, I'm going to change your soil. I'm going to change your soil. I'm going to change the ground that you've been growing in. You see, over and again in Scripture, Jesus uses an illustration of plants. And here Paul is doing the same thing. The ground contains the nutrients that feed the plant. So the ground is what gives the plant nutrients. The roots are what absorb the plant. It's the conduit. So when Paul is saying, I want you to be rooted and grounded, not only is he talking about being firm and in place, because as roots grow down deep into the soil, then they can withstand pressure and storms and wind and and other things that affect its health and its vibrancy. He doesn't just want us to be firmly in place. He wants to change the soil so that you're receiving the right nutrients, so that you're absorbing the right nutrients, that what's going in you, that what you are being fed is Focused and founded in the very love of God. Why? Well, he said it. So that you can be filled to the fullness of Christ. That you can be filled with the fullness of God. Does anybody here feel full? Often, I think, we're so hungry and desperate because we're lacking more than we're filled That you may be rooted and grounded in love. And you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the depth of Christ. And to know the love. Somebody say know the love. What's interesting about the word know is that means to be intimately aware. Intimately aware. That you are so rooted and so grounded in the love of God that you're intimately aware Of His love, and by being intimately aware, you can be filled with the fullness of Christ. That you can be filled more than you are now, which means there's more than we can experience. There's more of God's love that we can experience, there's more of His heart, there's more of His presence. And so, as I'm contemplating this reality, that it's the love of Christ. The question arises, then why do we struggle so much? If, if we've encountered God's love when we accepted Christ, if, if we know God loves us, right, we know this. We just sang a song, it's the most popular memory verse in all, in all of Sunday school and church, John three sixteen. for what? For God so loved, right? So we get it, right? We understand God loves us. God so loved us that he sent Jesus. But there's a difference between knowing that he loves us and believing his love experiencing His love, being intimately aware of His love. Matter of fact, feeling the manifestation of His love any given moment. Because most of us walk every day unloved. As if we're orphans in the kingdom rather than sons and daughters of the Most High. So there's a difference in knowing God loves us and feeling loved and experiencing love. But Paul says that's something we can become intimately aware of every day, every second, every moment. So why do we struggle with it? Why do we get so distant from God when things happen? Why do we grow cold and lose interest? Why do we lose our faith? Why do we lose hope? Why do we get stuck in religious routines in the cycle of leaving us feeling wanting? Like there's got to be something more than what I'm presently experiencing. I think it's because we're lacking in love. We are love deficient in the kingdom of God. It's like missing a vital vitamin in your diet. There are some minerals, there are some hormones, there are some things in your body that if you don't have it, it makes a world of difference. And just a simple supplement can change your day. I think we walk through this life so defeated, so discouraged, so down because we're missing the vital, the most vital vitamin, and that's the love of God. That's the introduction. Now, can I share with you a burden? This past week, uh, Scott and I, we went to a pastor's meeting that I go to once a month, and we just had a great time, just encouraged by other ministers and leaders, worship and fellowship together. As we were going around the table sharing what was on our heart, It's when I first heard about the revival happening at Asbury College in Kentucky. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you're a week behind. After a generic, everyday, ordinary chapel service, God breathed in that room. And the youth and the students have not left yet. They're still worshiping and praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week, the community's gotten involved in it. Now, people from all over the country are coming down. And there have been testimonies of healing, of salvation, of deliverance, of, of uh, miracle testimonies of people getting up in front of groups of people they've never met before and confessing sin, surrendering their lives to God. I mean, it's a legitimate revival. They didn't plan it. They didn't prepare for it. It wasn't scheduled. There wasn't a special speaker. It was just God showing up and God's doing a work. And now reports are coming that this revival is also spreading to other campuses around the country. Praise God! Praise God! Praise God! Just before this meeting where I found out about this revival... I listened to a message by John Brevere on the fear of the Lord. I've listened to it a couple times now. And he was in ministry, he was serving, he was a part of some different movements where he got to go overseas and be a part of revival services and evangelistic uh, movements in different countries. And one day he just is recounting this story of how he was praying to God and he was just kind of frustrated with where he was in ministry and just expressing to the Lord, like God, you know, why why am I not more anointed than I am? Well why, why don't you use me in greater ways? Why are my words not more anointed? Why I'm watching all these people and all the things you're doing through them and how come you're not doing it through me? And and he's expressing that every day he'd wake up and for like two hours a day he'd be in prayer and in meditation and studying the scriptures and giving his life to 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 pursuing God's heart, pursuing the presence of God, and here he's he's crying out to the God, God, why am I not more anointed? Why are you not using me in more powerful ways? And he said something that struck my heart. He said the Holy Spirit spoke to him and it said it's because you don't hate sin enough. And he began a journey over the next several years studying and discovering what is the fear of the Lord. And as I look at Asbury and the revival and not just John Bevere but Francis Chan recently has preached on the fear of the Lord and this seems to be a recurring theme that's beginning to permeate many churches. My pastor group is feeling the same way and I just feel like God is doing something right here, right now in our day and time. I look, with all the craziness going on in the world, all the confusion in the culture, the wayward ways churches are defecting from the Christian faith and the Orthodox belief and what we've turned the church into, because I love what we do here on Sundays, but this is not what happened in the early church. They met from house to house and went from place to place. And they all went out evangelizing, and then they came back, and they shared, and they ministered to one another, and they broke bread, and they encouraged one another. And every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. In the early church, they weren't building buildings. They weren't coming out with logos and brands. They they weren't uh, making T-shirts with their church's name on it. They were just all about the gospel. And I think in this day and time... What God is doing, I think God is pouring out this revival in our nation because God is returning us to a place of utmost importance, a place where we fear the Lord, where we fear the Lord. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. The angel of the Lord, that's Jesus, if you didn't know that. The Old Testament, Jesus was referred to as the angel of the Lord or the angel of the presence. Whenever he showed up, people were fearful that they were going to die because they saw God face to face. So the psalmist is saying the angel of the Lord, the very presence of God, he encamps around those who fear him and he rescues them. So think about what he's saying. He's saying, if you're hungry for my presence, if you're seeking after me, if you want more of me, the way to do that is through fearing me. The fear of the Lord. The way to come after me, the way to see me more in your life is the the fear of the Lord. In the book of Proverbs and and elsewhere throughout the Old Testament have many descriptions of what the fear of the Lord is. And be honest, I don't even really know what it is. When you look at the fear of the Lord, I don't even really know what it is. There aren't many definitions out there that do it justice. But there are things that we see in scripture, descriptions of the fear of the Lord that can help us kind of wrap our minds around what God is getting at when he's talking about the fear of the Lord. And again, we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We see this all throughout you know, the book of Proverbs. But it doesn't come out and say what it really is. So it's hard for us as we talk about the fear of the Lord to know, well, if this is what brings about the presence of God. If this is what is what draws in the presence, how can we seek after it if we don't really know what it is? And so I began racking my brain, searching the scriptures. And I came across a verse that tells me how I can discover the fear of the Lord. Isn't it helpful when God gives you an answer? Proverbs 2.6 says, after encouraging his sons to seek after wisdom as it were for hidden treasures. In verse 6, he says, the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth or his presence come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying out of God's presence, out of out of the source of the Lord, comes wisdom and understanding. Verse 5, he says, if you seek for wisdom like hidden treasures, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So in order to find out what the fear of the Lord is, I have to seek wisdom. I have to seek knowledge and understanding. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge and understanding. So how do I seek something I can't get to if I can't get there without seeking it? Thanks, God. It's like Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus, what do you think about this? Well, let me tell you a story that makes no sense to anyone but me. But what I know is out of his presence comes fear and under, it comes knowledge and understanding. So out of his presence come knowledge and understanding. And if you seek wisdom, then you will understand what the fear of the Lord is. So the fear of the Lord is tied to his presence. It's connected to his presence. Proverbs 1:29, the chapter before. talking about the wicked and how they've turned away from the Lord and they didn't listen to wisdom. In verse 29, it says, because they hated knowledge, they rejected the Lord. Verse 29, it says, and they did not choose the fear of the Lord. So they turned away from God. They didn't listen to God. They didn't, they didn't seek his wisdom or his knowledge. They went their own way. So God is going to rebuke them. Matter of fact, if you read in the text, it says that when they come unto hard times, God himself is going to laugh at them because they didn't choose the fear of the Lord they chose their own wisdom their own way so we know the fear of the Lord is tied to the presence of God but we also now know that the fear of the Lord is a choice it's a choice but what exactly so i began to pray i began to ask the Lord it's like okay God you've laid this burden on my heart you're restoring the fear of the Lord You're moving in your church. Revival's breaking out. We're seeing all these things that match the description of the fear of the Lord. But what is it? What is the fear of the Lord? How do I communicate this burden? How do I connect this to what you want to talk about today? And I just felt like the spirit of the Lord told me that the fear of the Lord is not a thing. It's a state of being. It's a state of being. It's, It's a place you arrive to in your life. But not just a state of being, That a, a definition I feel like the Spirit of God gave me was that it was an all-encompassing passion and zeal born out of a desperate yearning and love for God. That this thing, the fear of the Lord, is an all-encompassing, it encompasses your entire life, not just your Sunday mornings, not just the five minutes a day in your devotional that you give God. The fear of the Lord, it's all-encompassing. It, it takes over your entire being, and it's born out of passion and zeal, this desperate yearning that says, God, I, I, I know I've encountered you, but I haven't had enough, and I, and I need more. I need more of you. I want more of you in my life. I, I don't understand your ways like I should. God, give me wisdom and knowledge so I can understand not just what you want from me, but how you think. I want to think like you think. I want to feel like you feel. I want to walk as you walk. I want to walk in the spirit so I don't gratify the desires of my flesh. Elsewhere in Proverbs it says the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. I want to hate what you hate. And I want to love what you love. What's produced in the life of a person that fears the Lord we can see scripturally is a passion and zeal to pursue God's heart. His presence in worship, in prayer, and in fellowship with his church. A person who keeps his commandments, who repents of their sin, who are occupied in the Holy Spirit, a person who gives generously, lives sacrificially, is yielded to the whims of God and obedient to his will, who's not persuaded by temptation, but obsessed with righteousness, who's humble, not proud, single-minded, not double-minded, ever growing closer, not growing colder, who's wiser and not more foolish. This typifies a person who is walking in the fear of the Lord. It's not, it's not a checkbox. It's a reality in your life. It's something you arrive to. And as I'm thinking about this, and I'm thinking, okay, God, but we're talking about monumental love. Why are you wrecking me with the fear of the Lord? Well, first, in John 4, 8, it says God is love. It's not what he does. It's who he is. But secondly, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, this is Jesus' coronation moment. This is the moment where he's ascended into heaven. He's resurrected from the dead. And Jesus is being crowned by God. King and ruler over the kingdom of God. I want to read to you what the Lord says, what the Lord speaks over him. Bear with me. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning verse 8, it says, of the Son, this is the Father sp- speaking to Jesus. It says, of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of a, right, a brightness is the scepter of your kingdom. Again, he's, he's anointing Jesus. He's coronating Jesus. And here's what he said. He says, because you've loved righteousness and you've hated wickedness. Therefore, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus typified the fear of the Lord. God demonstrated his love for us in Jesus, and Jesus typified the fear of the Lord. It says that he loved righteousness, and he hated wickedness. And if you remember, there was a day where Jesus was questioned by some religious leaders, and they wanted to know what the two greatest commandments in all the Bible were, in all the Old Testament. And Jesus said that the greatest commandment is this, that you what, love the Lord your God with all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That it's not just having love for God. It's that your love for God is an all-encompassing love. That you give him your all, all your mind, all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your emotion, all your willingness, all your fear, all your anxiety, all all that makes everything that makes up you, it belongs to God, and that you love Him with everything that you are. You hold nothing back, you keep nothing back, and the second is likened to it that you love people the way you love yourself. In other words, you love what God loves. And since God loves people, you live out his love in your life through you into other people. Jesus demonstrated this beyond any of his companions. He was anointed king of the universe because he loved righteousness and he hated evil. And as we look at the fear of God, this all-encompassing state of being that's born out of his love What Paul is telling us in Ephesians 3, and what I believe God is is trying to restore, is that until we have been rooted and grounded in His love, we cannot properly fear Him, which is why we struggle to follow Him. We have one foot in the world, one foot in the church, and depending on how we feel, we don't know which way we're going to lean. But the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. I know when we talk about the fear of the Lord, we, we really struggle with the English language. Because it's, even though it's a difficult thing to learn, and English wasn't my best subject. It's actually a pretty simplistic language compared to other languages. And in the Old Testament, it was written in Greek and, or is written in Hebrew and Aramaic in some locations. But when we use the word fear, we can use it in different ways, but depending on the context determines how we interpret that. But many of us, when we hear fear of the Lord, I think we we think back to the way it used to be when we... Heard fire and brimstone passages where we were constantly talked about how, how much of sinners we were and that, you know, I'd been many times I left church meetings feeling more guilty than I walked in. You know, I had a conversation with uh, someone in high school one time. I invited them to church and they said, no, I can't go to church. I'm not, I'm not good enough to go to church. And I'm like, ain't nobody at church good enough to be at church It's like the person that says, no, I don't want to go to church. There are hypocrites in the church. I was like, yeah, and if you come, you'll be one of them. (laughs) I mean, we're all jacked up. I've had conversations with people literally that thought that if they walked into the door, God would set the place on fire. And why would they think that? It's because of their religious background, what they were exposed to. Many of us growing up, we were exposed to an angry God who wanted to judge everyone who stepped out of line. And so our understanding of the fear of the Lord was really to be afraid of God. In Exodus 19 and 20, again, I mentioned this earlier, one of my favorite passages of Scripture when God comes down on the mountain, God shows up to the nation of Israel after he brings them out of Egypt. And he does so for a specific purpose. He wants to call them into relationship. And so he comes down on the mountain in the fire and the whirlwind, and there's just this display of awesome glory and this magnificent splendor. And everybody's freaked out. I think for one, because he said you need to put a a barrier around the base of the mountain, and if anything crosses over, you're getting vaporized. So probably shouldn't do that. So keep everybody past the the barrier. But I'm going to come down, and I'm going to speak with you because I've called this people to be a kingdom of priests. I've called this people to be my own special people, so I'm going to come down, and this is going to be like the marriage ceremony between Yahweh God and Israel, and it's going to be spectacular, and so God comes down on the mountain, and in that moment, when he's down there, the people are so freaked out, they start running in fear, and in, in Hebrews, it says Moses was even scared, but Moses has a different response, rather than running away from God, Moses walks up to God. But just before he does this, in verse 20 of Exodus 20, it says, Moses says to the people, as they're freaking out, he says, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you. So think about what he just said. Don't be afraid. God's come to test you, so that the fear of the Lord may be before you. Another one of those passages of scripture. You said, don't be afraid, but yeah, you want me to be freaked out, right? It's not what he's saying. He says, don't be afraid so that the fear of the Lord can be before you. And then he follows it up by saying, that you may not sin. It's not that God wants you to be so afraid that you're afraid to sin. Because he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What's happening in this moment? He's calling the nation into relationship with him. And who is God? God is love. Why did Moses go up to the mountain when everyone was running away? It's because before the mountain, Moses had a bush experience. Where the bush was on fire and he was engulfed in the presence of God. And God called him out of his mess into an incredible journey. Moses had already had an encounter with the presence of God in the heart of God. So when God was on the mountain, though Moses was afraid of the fire, he wasn't afraid of God, and he knew he could trust God because he knew what God was like. And so here, he's able to say, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you see. Don't be afraid of God, though he's fierce, though he's righteous, though he's holy, though he's unlike anything else. Don't be afraid of him because he loves you and he wants you to come in and have a relationship with him. He wants you to approach him as a kingdom of priests, just like I approach him. But the tragedy of the story is that the people responded, Moses, we don't want to hear God for ourselves. You talk to God and you tell us what he said. In other words, we would rather have a religion where we don't have direct connection with God. I'd rather have you tell me what I should do, and I'll just try to live my days trying to live up to that. And beloved, we have many people in churches all over everywhere that do the same thing every day. God, I'm not really interested in a relationship with you. I'll just try to get something out of the Sunday message and try not to screw it up. When God's like, no, I don't like half in, half out. I want all in. I want a people who fear me, who have an all-encompassing love for me that it drives everything that they do. I want them so rooted and grounded in my love that they are unshakable. That when circumstances come their way they're, they're not swayed one way or another because they know who I am. They know what I like. They know I'm faithful, that I'm trustworthy and I'm good. And I won't let anything come into their life I've not already foreseen and prepared for and made a way through. God is calling us back to passionate pursuit. God is calling us back to the fear of the Lord. Earlier I said we had this BCAD moment. This was Israel's BCAD moment. Before they were in Egypt, that was was before Sinai. Now as they're being called into covenant, this is A-S. This is after Sinai. Before they are in the covenant, before God showed up on the mountain, God told Moses, he's like, you need to consecrate the people, have them wash their clothes, have them purify themselves for three days because when they come, I want to be there with a holy people, a set-apart people. I want them cleansed, I want them pure, I want them holy. And John Bevere, I just love this, he pointed this out, he said it's because they still had the filth of Egypt on them. So they had to cleanse themselves to get the filth of Egypt on them, so they were prepared to be a holy people for the Lord God. It's good. So I look at this as they're, they're, they're before Sinai and after Sinai moment. And they're consecrated because the Lord wanted them to know everything that came before. That was BS. That was before Sinai. That's garbage. Because I have something more for you with where we're going. I have a blessing for you, I have a reality for you, I have a calling on your life, I have something for you that, that you can't comprehend, and, and as I'm contemplating this this week, I'm, I'm reminded of the m- a moment in my eighth grade year, I was, I was struggling with, with uh, you know, friends, I was uh, you know, bullying, and I had this really insecure outlook on life, I had I just really felt like nobody liked me, and I was really going through kind of this depressive state. My parents tried to take me to counseling a couple times because I was lashing out in anger and and uh, just wasn't really you know, really healthy uh, emotionally. And at this moment, I kind of felt like, well, I tried to do God's thing before, and that wasn't working, so I'm just going to try to do my own thing. And so I started hanging out with people that were a bad influence, and I, I I started just going my own way, doing my own thing, and it wasn't helping. It was making it worse. And I remember we had a revival meeting, and I was kind of kidding about this earlier, but in, in the churches I grew up, we planned revival. It was once a year. And it came with a special speaker. It wasn't like what's happening right now. But I remember my parents telling us, look, you don't have to go every night of the meetings. You just need to pick one night and that's all you needed to do. And so I picked my night and I went and I think I spent most of the time trying to tune everything out because, you know, I was super cool and I had an attitude and I wasn't all that interested. But at the end of the message, I don't even remember what he preached on. I can't even remember anything that was going on in the moment. I just remember at the end of the service, getting to the, the response time and just feeling this weight on my chest. And I just remember the Lord just kind of I, I knew he was speaking to me. I didn't hear words. I didn't feel anything, but I knew God was speaking to me. And I had my head down because he was calling people forward for prayer. And, and you, know, you know, you do that weekly here too. We have the response time. You know you should come forward. And you sink down in your seat like, I ain't going forward, you know. Ain't nobody going to get me out of my seat, right? That's what I was being like him. And for some reason, as the minister was talking, I just looked up. And as soon as I looked up, his eyes locked right into me. And he said, you know what you need to do. Don't hesitate. Respond to the Lord. And as soon as I got up from my seat, I think I started crying. And I made my way down to the front, and I dedicated my life to Christ that day. I knew God was calling me into the ministry. But you know what? That was an impactful moment. I'll remember that forever. But my life didn't really change after that. I got up from there knowing I was called, but I still kept doing what I was doing, hanging with who I was hanging with, up until my sophomore year in high school, when God visited me again at another time, and he called me out from that moment. And every time God's called me out, he's shifted things in my life. I know he was working me, moving me to places to where to where we are today. But there, the point I would point to in my life that was the most dramatic, most impactful was only about seven years ago. Seven years ago where I decided that I couldn't, I couldn't hide my struggles anymore, I couldn't manage or control my own sins, that, that I needed help, that everything was unraveling, everything I was trying to protect was falling apart anyway. And I think we believe these lies that when we have issues in our heart, when we know that there's something that's not right, when we know that we're, we're involved in something or doing something that's out of God's will, we, we make up lies to believe, well, if I just don't tell anybody about it, no one finds out, then, then I'll be okay. It won't hurt anybody but, but just me, or, or I'll be able to beat it myself. I don't, I don't need anyone else. And we believe our own BS the stuff from before. It's all garbage. But God brought me to a very devastating place. And in that moment, I remember telling the Lord, He's like, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't go on. Everything's falling apart anyway. Anything I thought I had control over, I don't have control over, and I'm not helping the circumstance. So I, I just I submit myself to you. And I told him, "You know what? I could lose my family." I could lose my job. I could be out on the street. I could lose everything. But if I'm okay with you, I know I'll be okay. You'll take care of me. So I'm prepared to surrender everything. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll go through whatever you need to take me through. But I'm yours, fully and completely. And in that moment, I had one of the most dramatic encounters with the presence of God I've ever had in my entire life the first time in my life feeling unconditional love for the first time. First, every time in my life. That I I was broken, I was a mess, but I was insanely loved by God. There's nothing like it. And God delivered me, and he freed me, and he's still working on me, and he's still working in my life and still speaking to me. And I look back at these different moments in my life where God God intervened, and what, what was the difference between... Seven years ago and way back in the day in my eighth grade year when I know God called me. It's the same thing that happened with Israel. God, God called Israel. God called them into relationship. God called them into a special anointing that they'd be the kingdom of priests. God called them, but they weren't surrendered. And so I had a moment with God at an altar at a church, and I knew it. So I knew I was called, but why didn't my life change? It's because I wasn't surrendered. And that's what brings me back to John Bevere's words. He says, you, you didn't hate sin enough. God, why, when I look at this person's life, are you moving in their life? And and I've never experienced anything like that. God, why can you use them? Why have you elevated their platform? God, why why are are they leading people to Christ left and right? And I tell people all the time, but nothing ever happens. And I just think back and see how much of my life was about me. Just being honest, I'm probably one of the most self-centered, selfish jerks you've ever met. I am. I live for myself all the time. I'm lazy. I don't do things when I should. I'm not generous when I should. I don't help when I should. I don't sacrifice like I should. And what's the word of God says? It says "He that knows to do good but doesn't do it, it's sin. What's the fear of the Lord? The fear of the Lord is someone who hates evil. In the Word of God, it's like a sharp sword. It divides between the thoughts and the intents of the heart, which means motives matter to God. It's not just what you do. It's the motivation of your heart that matters. And so if the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, it's not just to hate the sins people commit. It's to hate even the heart condition that leads to the sin in the first place. And I look at my life and I see, you know, why did God move in this moment, not in this other moment? It's because for the first time in my life, I had surrendered to him. Things that I was holding on to and that I was trying to protect. And I, I just feel this burden in my life that, that God is calling the church back to the fear of the Lord because he's calling us back to surrender, to stop holding on to stuff that we're trying to use to protect ourselves. Because even that's sin. Who's our strength? God. Who's our protection? God. Who's our fortress? God is. Who's our strong tower? God is. Who's our refuge? God is. So anytime we medicate for anxiety, things that don't aren't the Lord, anytime we try to protect ourselves emotionally that's not from God, anytime we put anything in God's place, we set Him on God's throne that's idolatry, and the church is ripe with it. I'm ripe with it. And we play. We play. And I feel like God is calling people. He's pleading with us. Return to the Lord. Stop the game. And it's not because he's mad at us. It's not at all because he's mad at us. Because God showed us his great love. What's amazing? In Psalm 130, verse 3, it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? God, if you would point out everything in us that's flawed, that's messed up, who could stand? We'd all be judged. But here's what he says. But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. With you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. What's God saying? He's saying you want to get to the place where you fear the Lord. You want to get to the place where you experience the reality of this unconditional, overwhelming love then the pathway is through forgiveness because only until you surrender and you lay down and you admit fault and you come to that place of repentance you come to that place where you say, God, I'm jacked up, I'm messed up, but you know what? I'm yours fully and completely. I want want nothing but you. I don't want to serve at another altar, at another God's uh, uh, altar. I want to serve you and you alone. It's like in that place of humble surrender that's when I'm going to intersect you. That's where you're going to encounter my love. That's where your life's going to change, where you're going to become a new creation because my love is going to transform you from a broken sinner to a righteous and holy saint as my blood washes you and forgives you and cleanses you of all unrighteousness. It's that place of forgiveness. I could recount the story of Gideon as he's in the threshing barrel and he's fearing for his life because of the invading army and God appears to him, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, oh mighty man, and he's like, who are you talking about? My tribe is the smallest. I'm the smallest of my tribe. There ain't no mighty men around here. And Jesus is calling him into who God declared that he was, calling him into his identity. He says, I'm going to use you. You're going to deliver your people. It's going to be awesome. But there's something you got to do first. You have to go to your father's house and you have to tear down his idols and, and destroy the places of pagan worship in your father's house. Beloved, there are things that we have grown up doing our whole life. It's what our parents have done. It's what their parents have done. There are attitudes. There are ways that we just are that are idols in our life. And I believe God is ready to destroy some generational curses by getting rid of some junk that's been in our family lines for hundreds of years. God wants you to lay waste. He wants you to say, I don't care what my family's always done. I don't care how I've always been because I'm not what I once was. I'm altogether new. I've had a BCAD moment. Jesus, I'm surrendering. I'm laying this stuff down. I'm yours. Change me from the inside out. Because I want to encounter your unconditional love, your monumental love that has the power to transform. James 4.10 says if we humble ourselves under the mighty power of God, at the right time he will lift us up. God's not in the power of casting down. He's in the business of lifting up. And he wants to lift you up. I'm going to close with this last this last passage in Luke chapter 7. So profound. Luke 7 Again he's being questioned and Jesus gives a parable. Actually he's at a where he tells a story about a moneylender. And he's giving this parable to describe the kingdom of God and how God treats other people. And in this story, he, verse 43, he turns to this guy named Simon and he's asking them, between two people, you have one that owed a large debt and someone who owed a small debt. And he says, God... Forgave both their debts, or the manager forgave both the debts, and he asked the person who, who loved more, and he says, "Well, I suppose the person who was forgiven the greater debt." And he turns to this woman who they're having this interaction with because he's comparing himself to someone else. This this sinful woman who's of ill repute; she had a bad reputation. Her sins were known, and he's this religious guy, pious and looked good on the outside. and And Jesus turned to him in Luke forty seven. Uh, Luke seven forty seven, 47, and he, he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Those who are forgiven much love much. His love transforms. His forgiveness transforms. It's what changes you from what you were into who you were meant to be. And I look at this story in in the fear of the Lord, and I think God is returning his church to the fear of the Lord through the forgiveness he's ready to pour out on those who are truly repentant. Those who don't just want to have moments and encounters with God, but those who want to surrender and say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Those who are willing to even lay down their lives and say, God, I felt for years that you were calling me into the ministry, but I was too scared to let go of my occupation, to, to follow what you want me to do. But today I'm going to surrender that. I will go where you go. I will, I will live where you live. I'll do what you want me to do. Some, some I believe God is speaking to your heart, and you know that there's issues in your life. You're trying hard to keep it secret. But God's saying as long as you guard it, as long as you guard it yourself, You're going to erect a wall in your life, and my love's not going to be able to intersect that wall because I'm not breaking that down. You have to tear down the altar. You have to tear down the wall. You have to come to him. And when you do, that's when my work is going to flow. In James, it says if we draw close to God, he'll draw close to us, but first we have to purify our hands. We have to purify our hearts. We have to come to him And confess, we have to come to him and submit. We have to come to him and surrender and say, God, this has been in my life. It's out of order. But God, I'm going to surrender this to you. And when we come to him empty-handed and say, God, here it is, it's at that time he begins to fill us up with love, tender mercy, kindness, unconditional love, the transformers from what we were into who we were meant to be. That's when we begin to tangibly experience his unconditional love, his monumental love in our lives that begins to so overwhelm us that it starts dictating our attitudes. We, we stop wanting to get involved with things we know that hurts God's heart. We want to stop listening to garbage that is influencing our minds and we want to start renewing our mind daily with the word of God and thinking about things that are pure, honest, and holy. We stop, you know, wanting to just... Sleep our days away, and we want to get active in the kingdom of God, telling people that there's a God who loves them, a a Savior who died for them, and that you can have a life-altering encounter by placing your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I believe there's children of God, priests of God Most High, who God's called, God's anointed, and God's ready to do miraculous things through you, but it's that thing in your life you haven't surrendered yet that's getting in the way. I believe God wants revival to sweep across this nation. I believe he wants us to be a part of that move, this city to be part of that move. But the question is, is are we going to respond? Are we just going to be called? Are we going to be called and then surrender? Are we going to stick to our guns, protect ourselves, or are we going to Come to him who are heavy laden and let him give us rest. See, until you meet Jesus at the cross in a place of humble surrender, you're not going to understand, you're not going to intimately know the fear of the Lord. You're not going to know the unconditional love of God fully like you could until you surrender what you've been holding on to. The beautiful thing is the fear of the Lord is available. It's given to all who come. Jesus said, if you come to me, I'm not going to turn anyone away. But we have to let our defenses down. And we have to let the love of God rise up. Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment. God, when I contemplate what your word says, And I look at my own heart and my own life. I don't see anything good. But I'm so glad I'm not defined by what I see. I'm defined by what you see. I'm defined not by my own righteousness because it's like filthy rags. I'm defined by the righteousness of Christ because he was perfect and he was good and he was the pure sacrifice, and he's given us his righteousness as he's taken away our sins. And so I can say, yes, I am holy. I am clean. I am good because of what Christ has done in me. The Lord, in this broken world, I see so much that's out of alignment with your will. In my heart, is that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, God, that my life would reflect your glory, that there'd be nothing in my life that would be in the way of you working and using me in a powerful way, God. And I pray that for the church, Lord, that we would love you more than we love our sin. That we would hate wickedness, even the wickedness in our own heart, every prideful thought, every prideful emotion, every proud look, God, every self-righteous, self-centered motivation, God, that we would hate it with the hatred of hellfire, God. And that we would seek you, Lord. We would seek to walk in the Spirit so we don't gratify the desires of the flesh. God, that we would come to a place of complete surrender where we're okay with not being okay, we're okay with being vulnerable, knowing that you're gonna be our strength, our defense, our fortress. You're gonna be our provider. You're gonna be our savior. Oh God, what would this world do with a church transformed by the unconditional love of Almighty God? What would this community do if this church captured your heart in this moment. And we let our hearts be broken enough to come and surrender. hear the Lord asking who will come who will answer the call who will come and surrender who will come and lay their life down who will come and confess what is hidden so he can take it Who will come and admit the attitudes in their life that keep their heart hard? Who will come and let the Spirit of God breathe afresh on them? Who will come and be forgiven? Who will come and be filled with the love of God that surpasses all understanding? Who will come? With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around, and just the quietness of this moment, I'm just gonna open this time of response. And I pray you hear the heart of God this morning, that his heart is good, his love for you is great, and what he has planned for you is beyond your wildest expectations. And he's ready to move in you but only until you're ready to move. And if the Spirit of God is speaking to your heart, there's areas of your life you haven't surrendered. There are things that have been freaking you out that you've been choosing to keep from God or keep from being faithful. There's some stuff in your life that you haven't let go of. Will you answer the call? And if you're here today and that's you, and you say, Joey, I'm tired of holding on to this. I'm tired of the enemy using this as a revolving door in my life. I'm tired of being uh, just bent over with fear and anxiety about following God and doing doing things that are out of my comfort zone. Today, I want to surrender. I want God to use me. I don't want anything in my life that gets in the way of what he has planned and in store for me. If that's you here today, I'm just going to invite you right where you are, right now, to get up from your seat and come down to the front and lay yourself down here like an old-fashioned altar and kneel before God in his presence. I'm a firm believer that the first miracle that happens is when the pride breaks when you make a move. So if God's speaking to you, and you know that there's something that you want to respond to, there's something that you want to turn over, there's something you want to surrender, even if it's just to surrender your life to serve him, no matter what it looks like right now, Wherever you are, stand to your feet and come on. You come and you lay yourself down. You lay yourself down and say, God, not my will anymore, but yours. I'm tired of holding on to this. I'm tired of it. I don't care what I lose, but as long as I'm okay with you, I'll be okay because you're good and you love me. And you have good plans in store for me. Praise God. God, I don't know that I have a relationship with you. So I ask you today to forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. I want a BCAD moment where today I would leave from where I was to walking now in newness of life. invite Tony to just minister to us in song you stay down here as long as you need to to be with the Lord and church if you're still in your seats I ask you to pray intercede if you're not praying and surrendering in your seat that you be praying for those that are down here or join in singing as we maintain an atmosphere of worship and praise but God have your way God have your way God, breathe on everyone down here. God, let your spirit come and breathe afresh on us. God, we surrender. God, we ask for more. Holy Spirit, we yearn for you. God, come and fill us up. You said if we open our mouth, you'll fill it. God, come and fill us up. Breathe on us again. In Jesus' name.